Any successful plan requires wisdom and preparation, and retirement is no different. It's time for the Plan Wise Retire Free Podcast. Hey, gang, we're back for the second half of our conversation, our podcast on important financial debates. We had the top nine we were counting down here on Plan Wise Retire Free. We did the first four on the prior episode, so feel free to go check that out if you have not done so. You don't need to listen to one to hear the other, but it'd probably be a good idea to check out both as well. And you can find all that information at planwiseretirefreepodcast.com. That's planwiseretirefreepodcast.com or Jude's main website at centrustfs.com. Dot com. And Jude, what's going on, my friend? How you doing this week? Looking forward to the weekend. I've got plans. And so I'm excited to be here with you today, but I'm also looking forward to the weekend. Yeah, we're always looking forward to a good weekend and enjoying. Hey, but when you're retired, my dad used to say every day is a Saturday, right? So every day is a weekend. So uh, that's something to certainly think about. So as I mentioned, we're doing the uh, the important financial debates, kind of where do we fall? We did the first four, did things like paying off the house as soon as possible, bonds versus bond funds, uh, life insurance, uh, you know, needing it, not needing it as a retiree, so on and so forth. So we're going to start with a heavy hitter, Jude. I'm going to drop the A word here on the program, annuities. Are a ripoff is the debate, and I think the conversation with that has gotten better over the last couple of years. Certainly, there was a period of time where you know everybody just gets very—it's very polarizing word in the in the uh, in the financial world as annuities. But I think people have realized that they're they're they've changed quite a bit. No doubt, I, I teased at the end of last episode that the next uh, ones that we were going to talk about were hot because I I saw new on the list. And this is one that comes up in conversations uh, quite often with with potential clients, because there's so much information out there. There's almost too much information. And and people are are in one camp or the other. But here's the thing. If all you have is a hammer, everything starts to look like a nail. And I think the reason why annuities had gotten such a bad rap is that in the industry, in the insurance industry at one point, annuities were the default product of choice and not all annuities are made the same. So you're absolutely correct. Uh, the industry has changed quite a bit. There are many different types of annuities. And so as we always talk about, we need to have a plan for every client and understand what are they trying to accomplish. Annuities in general, Depending on what you're trying to accomplish, there are variable annuities, fixed indexed annuities, hybrid annuities, and each of them have a different purpose and and, uh, a a particularly different outcome depending on why you're annuity. So as I tell clients, you know, let's look at what we're trying to accomplish and see if what investment may be right for you in your particular situation. It may not be an annuity at all, but you don't want to take anything off the table when you're trying to achieve your goals. Yeah. And I think, you know, what's, what's happened for a lot of people is we get conditioned where we think, okay, we have two places to park our money, cash, or the market and, you know, cash is not paying me enough and the market's too scary, you know, particularly right now. And sometimes people are looking for other options and that might be the option you need to turn to. But if you have a preconceived notion of saying, well, I've heard they're all bad and therefore I don't want to talk about it, then you may be limiting yourself in that conversation. So again, it may not be the right fit, but just being open to the fact that it could be just like insurance products and any other thing else, any other financial vehicle as well. So 
Uh, that's that one. Our uh, number six on our list, Jude, is the you know we're conditioned to go to work and um, you know pump into our four hundred one k for forty years or whatever, and then when we get to retirement, we're going to be in a lower tax bracket, and we can just defer that money into that four hundred one k, and we'll just pay those taxes later. This is what we've been taught to do and been doing for a number you know decades now. This has kind of been the norm, but I talk to advisors all around and. That automatically in a lower tax bracket is not that automatic. More times than not, people wind up being in a higher tax bracket or the same tax bracket as when they retired. You know, I got to tell you, I'm a calm, cool, collective guy, but this is the one myth that I hear over and over again that just ticks me off. I think uh, there's a lot of literature that that says the same thing, but what you pointed to is absolutely correct. Uh, most of the clients that we work with that are saving toward retirement uh, and then eventually get into retirement, they're making a considerable amount of income in retirement because they were good savers and they put together uh, through, with our help a, a, a really good retirement plan. So they're not necessarily in a lower tax bracket. Many of them are in the same tax bracket. Uh, you know, be, the myth was that retire, you'll be living off of anywhere between uh, 65 to 80% of your pre-retirement income. Well, I got to tell you, I don't know any client 65% of what they're used to when they're working. They want to live this, that same level of income. And the other thing to consider, if I were to ask you, uh, if you had a crystal ball and, and had to guess what direction do you believe taxes are going in the future? Would you say they are will be lower, stay the same, or may increase? I think most people would say they're probably going to go up. So even if you're making less money in the future, your bracket at that income level may be the same or even higher. So putting all your eggs in a vehicle like a 401k, a deferred type of account, you may be creating what we call the ticking tax time bomb. And so we work with clients to, to defuse that time bomb before they retire. Yeah. And I think if you if you go into the mindset of it with this just naturally happens, uh, that's probably where you're making that mistake. Could you get into a lower tax bracket? Possibly, right? But it, do, it does require planning, right? You're not going to get there just, you know, <laughs> just on accident, right? <laughs> so <laughs> you got to make sure you have some planning involved in there. Uh, number seven, Jude, never, 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 never. You should use credit cards, never. Um, there's definitely a, a big financial guy out there who trumpets yeah. <laughs> this quite a bit. Um, but I think that's naive in today's world. You know, there's uh, a lot of places you can't even use cash anymore. COVID, uh, you know, ramped that up. People won't, and they don't even take cash, right? So, and there's also the second piece of this for me, Jude. If it's like this one comes down to truly knowing yourself. If you know that a credit card gets you into trouble because you're a spend happy shopaholic, well, then yeah, maybe that's a good good idea. But credit cards can be useful if used properly. No doubt. When I graduated from college. I got my first credit card. I was so excited. My goal was I was going to buy all my nieces and nephews a Christmas present. Uh, you know, most of the people who listen and probably don't know, I have a huge family, nine brothers and sisters, and I stopped counting at over 35 nieces and nephews. So it took me a couple of years to pay off that credit card. But now, older and wiser, I have credit cards and I pay off the balance every month. I receive rewards for uh, the purchases that I make. 
And it's a very, very useful tool. So again, it gets to what you were saying, know, know thyself. If that credit card is something that you're not going to pay off or it tends to get you in trouble, then it's probably not the best thing for you. But so many credit cards now are offering so many different benefits, particularly for people that pay off their card. I'm a big, I'm a big fan. Yeah. And, you know, we're, we're all worried about inflation and the price of things going up. But I think, you know, even if you do something as simple as having, you know, that it's um, something you kind of need, but you do kind of worry about your self-control, you know, have a very small limit, put a very small limit on a card. And we have everything in life now is a service, as a reoccurring service charge, right? So I use mine for like, you know, the Netflix charge or the, you know, the reoccurring, you know, Spotify or, you know, whatever those kind of reoccurring charges that we tend to have. And yeah, I'm with you. Pay it off, you know, as soon as it comes comes up, and then you know, you're great. And and the credit card companies they make money off of the folks that don't pay it off, right? Those ones that Absolutely. use it properly, they're not making anything. But there's obviously way more of us that uh, you know use them improperly. So again, <laughs> know thyself. That goes a long way. Uh, number eight, Jude. It's better to buy mutual funds or ETFs versus individual stocks. Thoughts? So I love mutual funds. You know, my mom uh, was a very simple person. She didn't understand finance. So the first time I talked to her about a mutual fund, she thought it was some kind of hippie term. And I'm like, no, mom, this is an investment. It's going to give you the opportunity to invest in multiple companies and have diversification that you couldn't afford if you were just trying to build a portfolio of owning different companies. Now you own a small piece of many different companies. Mm-hmm. But for some of our clients, owning individual stocks gives you a little bit more flexibility. I own both. I think a mutual fund is a mutual solution for a lot of people. You can't control what goes into the mutual fund. You can't control when you sell the the internal investments. You can't control when those are sold or when those are bought. Uh, but it allows you to to get into the market at a very low cost. With individual stocks, though, there's so many more things that can be done to customize your investment portfolio for your individual situation. Particularly if you're a high net worth individual, you may be able to use tax stocks harvesting by owning individual stocks and to, to customize a portfolio for your individual situation. So it's not one is better than the other. Uh, For me, I have a combination of both mutual funds and individual stocks. But we need to know what your situation is to say which one, which direction might be better for you. Yeah. And I think with individual stocks, you know, some advisors will talk about the fact that maybe if if you've got a real strong passion or you've got some speculative type of uh, an account that you want to have a little fun with, that's, you know, one thing uh, if you're trying to swing for the fences or something like that. But, you know, a lot of times with mutual funds or ETFs, to your point, yes, it gives you this basket of things. Uh, And just a quick kind of breakdown, Jude, for folks who might not be aware, ETFs work and trade a little bit more like a stock as far as with as the market's concerned, like you can, you know, move it in and out, whereas mutual funds, you have to wait till close of business, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a great uh, differentiation between the two. Yeah, so if you get into a mutual fund at you know ten in the morning and you decide you want to be out of it at two, well, you got to wait till the close <laughs> of the day. Whereas an ETF, you know, uh, but obviously that's not good advice. You shouldn't be jumping in and out of things if it's not part of your strategy. That shouldn't be. That's where we get into trouble is jumping in and out of stuff. So that might be what that uh, speculative fund account is for, if you will. 
Uh, and it's, of course, it. that's always got to be something that you, you know, money that you can afford to lose. Uh, think of it like, you know, just going to Vegas or whatever. Uh, all right. So number nine, last one here on our total countdown, Jude, is the Social Security conversation. Of course, it's the start it as soon as you can. Get your money for it's all gone. Right. If, you know, <laughs> go ahead. I was going to say, if that's your reasoning, that might not be the best side of the debate to fall on. If you need the money, you need the money. Right. But taking it early just because you think, I don't know, whatever headline is the is the thing may not be the best advice. The headline du jour, Social Security is going bankrupt. Yep. And I have this conversation uh, with people who are, are, are nearing retirement and they've something to that effect. So you're absolutely right. Uh, it goes back to doing the math. If you need the money, you just need the money. But the longer you wait after age 65, your full retirement age, you need to look at Social Security and see when is your full retirement age. From there, the longer you wait, you get an 8% guaranteed increase in your Social Security benefit up to age 70. And some people, because they fear that Social Security is going to run out, they think that, you know, I don't mind getting paid less at age 62 when I'm available, when I qualify to take Social right. Security at that, at that early age. But you lock in that lower benefit for the rest of your life um, with adjustments to cost of living. So what we do is we just do the math. We see whether it makes sense to wait, because if you if you wait, um, you may need to tap into other assets to sustain yourself until uh, you're ready to either reach your full retirement age or the maximum benefit age at age 70. Uh, so the math helps us decide that. Mm-hmm. But then again, there are some other people who say, you know what, Jude, I don't care what the math says. I want to take a, a yeah. Social Security early. Well, there's something called a break-even point, you know, so Jude and an advisor can help you kind of figure out that number. But, you know, we're guessing because we don't know our longevity, but there's something where they can do the break-even point and take a look if you wait till full retirement age or taking it early. And yeah, that's a great point, actually, you brought up. Maybe sometimes the, the better argument for taking it early is, is if you're going to have to pull down on or draw down on your um, investment accounts or your retirement accounts like a 401k, uh, then maybe it's, you know, you would kind of weigh that bucket of taking the money from the Social Security and living on that and not pulling from those accounts or pulling from those accounts and delaying Social Security. It's all about the math, right? It's all about figuring out the strategy for you. So turning it on just because the headline got you fired up, maybe not the best idea. Doesn't, no. Yeah. That's, that's not the right reason to do it. There are other reasons to do it. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's right better. We'll, we'll go with better reasons, right? Yeah, exactly. Better reasons. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, there's our, our top financial debates. The last two podcasts. Hopefully you enjoyed those. Those are the big questions. Those are the big things that typically come up when retirees or pre-retirees sit down with a financial professional like Jude. And if you've got some of those questions yourself, if you haven't dealt with them or uh, you're looking for a second opinion because all of volatility and inflation and everything we're dealing with now has got you a bit worried, and that's certainly understandable, and we're seeing a lot of that, maybe a second opinion isn't the worst idea. Get a second opinion on the plan you've got. See if it's going to uh, you know, kind of hold up through these turbulent times. You can find some more information. You can get scheduled onto the calendar, whatever you need to do at centrust.com. FS.com. That's C E N T R U S F S, CentrustFS.com. You can find a lot of good tools, tips, and resources there uh, from Jude and the team at Centrust Financial Strategies. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or whatever platform you like to use. 
And as always, if you've got some questions, need some help, just reach out to him at 800-779-4592. Jude, thanks for hanging out, my friend. Uh, it's uh, This podcast was the one that came out just after Fourth um, of July, but we're taping it prior to Fourth of July. So I hope you have a good a holiday, and I hope everybody else enjoys theirs as well. I'm looking forward to it. Barbecue. There you go, barbecue, barbecue. <laughs> don't uh, don't burn your fingers off with any uh, fireworks <laughs> or anything. And we'll see you next time here on Plan Wise Retire Free with Jude Wilson. The preceding program is sponsored by Jude Wilson, who is solely responsible for its content.